0: Hi, my name is Elizabeth Agabi. I'm the founder of Full Working Ladies, a platform for entrepreneurial and career-driven women. I'm on a mission to speak to like-minded businesswomen to get the inside story on their secret to success. And you're listening to our podcast, How I Made It Happen. Today, I'm in the studio with best friends and co-founders of ON, Nikki McKelson and Leah Rempree. On is a bespoke organic tampon subscription service and also the providers of the UK's first pro-period CBD oil. The startup has partnered with Social Enterprise School Club Zambia, which runs a girls' program to focus on fighting period poverty in rural Zambia with education and sustainable methods. For every box of On Tampons bought, customers are directly contributing to the long-term change in rural schools. In this podcast episode, we discuss why mainstream tampons and sanitary towels are bad for you, the rise of CBD across different industries, and lastly, the struggle of getting investors to invest in women-focused products. Here's Nikki Mikkelsen and Leah Ramfrey.
1: My name is Nikki and I'm one of the founders of ON. So prior to starting ON, I wanted to work in international development. So I actually did my undergraduate at Sussex and I studied international relations and development. I then went off to Zambia and I worked in Zambia with the school club, which is a really cool NGO that works to help rural schools in Zambia um, become financially self-sufficient because they don't get government funding to fund the schools, the teacher salaries and all developments. So I worked with them for a while. Then I went back to Denmark, did a master's in global development. And really, really enjoyed that. I never kind of expected that I would uh, become an entrepreneur. So I always had a really strict idea of what my career was going to be. And it was going to be in consulting, in international development. I wanted to travel. I grew up moving around. So I think part of it was wanting to give back. So after I did my graduate degree, I then worked for a big consulting company doing socioeconomics and development. And it was shortly after that that me and Leah were catching up and decided to start on. So that's my story. So mine is uh, completely different,
2: other than the Sussex bit, which is where Nick <laughs> and I met. Um, so after uni, I traveled a lot. I kind of took off and went, I don't want to do this anymore. I want to go traveling and explore. So I traveled quite a lot and then ended up um, working in marketing, working for an events company. I was doing their online and offline marketing. And that kind of moved into branding. And that was something I absolutely loved. So then I found a job that I could travel whilst doing branding and brand consultancy for companies. So I was kind of on the road, I was in and out of kind of Asia in the UK doing brand consultancy. I then randomly had an opportunity that I couldn't turn down um, and opened a cafe and event space in Devon. So started that, um, set that up so that there was a manager and kind of an amazing team. I still have that um, on the side with an incredible team who run 99% of of the business there, which is amazing. And then it was end of 2016 that Nicky and I came together and the idea for On was born.
0: Amazing it seems like you've both had really fast <laughs> <laughs> careers that have taken you around the world, which sounds really exciting. Nikki, you mentioned that you didn't expect your career to take the path of entrepreneurship and you were very much involved in giving back so I guess that's a not- for- profit space yeah. so what was it that made you change paths?
1: It was a few things actually, but I would say the primary thing was the fact that Lee and I came together with this idea. And we became so passionate about it that it started to take up all of my free time, all of my thoughts, and we just, there was no way of sort of stopping that once the ball got rolling. We, we couldn't find our way out because we were just so passionate about the idea. I'm not sure if I would have found my same sort of path to running a business if it hadn't have been for on. But once we got started, I think, I think it turned out that a lot of the skills that I had lended itself quite nicely to what we were doing, because I can kind of do a lot of different things. My skill set doesn't lie in one area. Yeah. Um, yeah.
2: I think there was a few conversations prior to that as well where Nix and I had spoken about kind of doing more and doing it kind of through business or social enterprise and actually being able to achieve more. You can go out and get investment. You can kind of really, really fast track things. Mm. So still creating that change, but kind of on a slightly different path than, than kind of especially for you,
0: Nix, that I had once imagined. And um, could you tell me about the actual aha moment that you had with on how that came about?
2: So it involved wine. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So we
0: actually
1: have known each other for about nine years now. We met on the very first day of uni. They put us into the rooms next door to each other and it was love at first sight. Well, actually it was love at first dance because Leah was on the tabletops uh, (laughs) (laughs) of the the freshers event that night. Um, And I decided that that was going to be my best friend. So that was three years we lived together. And then um, we went off and did our separate things for a couple of years. We're catching up over wine. And um, I came on my period. And I had no product, as always. So I asked Leah if I could borrow something. Ran upstairs to her bedroom, was going through her cabinet, found a pad, picked it up, went to open it and use it. And I realized there was light purple hearts all over the inside of the pad. I think it must have been the wine but I got really angry, and I sort of got out of the toilet, ran downstairs waving this pad she at you.
2: Didn't, didn't run down the stairs. It was like a thumping down the <laughs> stairs. <laughs> what the hell is this?
1: <laughs> I was just so angry. It was that first moment of actually looking at the product and thinking, why do we buy this? Yeah. Why is there no other option? You know, everything else we can buy ethically, sustainably. We can buy brands that we love and care about, but for something so intimate and so recurring, you're stuck well, you have been stuck with one or two brands that you can buy from. And then we kind of just basically started talking about the packaging of products like this, the entire industry, how we felt really frustrated by sort of being advertised like we were children. And I think that was the initial conversation.
2: Yeah, I think the real uh, like aha moment, though, was uh, maybe... 3 months after that initial conversation when we personally realized what was kind of what mainstream products were made of so that kind of tampons are filled with toxins as synthetic rayon polyester viscose kind of bleach byproduct of dioxin the list is kind of and did endless. you start
0: doing that research based on the conversation or based on the fact that you thought oh, this could be a business
2: So we started doing the research based on kind of this could be a business where we could create products that were different and that kind of women um, and people that bleed can walk kind of walk in the office, pick the tampon out of their bag and walk um, through the office without kind of putting it up their sleeve. So products that you didn't necessarily feel like you had to hide, Um, but it was in the kind of development of very, very early phases, I wouldn't even call it development, they just <laughs> early, early research phases of that, that we realized that there were no disclosure regulations in the industry at all. More disclosure um, regulations on hamster food than um, tampons. So that, I think, was the aha moment, um, the kind of the shock of it and the frustration that we felt
0: that we'd been using unlabeled products for the last 15 years. And how did you go about understanding how other women felt? Did you just look at like secondary research that was out there, or did you do your own?
2: Very early stages, we did uh, We did do research, but it was quite small scale, wasn't mm. it, to start with. We were uh, over a year pre-launch, and the, so the kind of very early stages went, let's ask as many people as we can, we would do some kind of Survey Monkey um, questionnaires and try and find some data points. Um, But it was, yeah, it was on a very small scale. And then after that, maybe we had kind of a few hundred research points from that. And it was after that that we spent the next kind of year in pre-launch and building data as we went. Okay.
0: So after you got the research data, did you then decide to contact manufacturers? How did you find them? And what was your experience like with that?
2: That was a real experience. Um, We hustled like crazy to find manufacturers that would one, speak to us. Secondly, um, provide organic products um, the way that we wanted them. So we want to be GOT certified, we want to be Soil Association certified. So that means not just the products come out of the factory and they're um, organic, but it actually tracks the entire supply chain, making sure everyone through from the cotton farmers and the cotton pickers right the way through to the factory staff, all being paid living wages, all working sustainable hours, um, and kind of have a really, really good quality life. So that was really important for us. We didn't want to just have, a, hey, an organic tampon and it can be made of 1% organic material, but everyone can call it organic. That was so far from what we wanted to do. Yeah. So it was finding manufacturers that <laughs> would talk to us, would kind of even entertain the idea of being GOT certified and soil association certified. And then us going, hey, we've got no budgets. Can, can you also do this? And we've got tiny, tiny minimum order quantities that we want because we've got no money. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> it literally took us turning up on the doorsteps of um, a couple of uh, factories and trying to convince them to take us
0: seriously. And after you did that, on the legal side of things, what did you have to do to prepare yourself to go to market? Gee, there was, in terms
2: of the products, there was very little, which is actually really worrying. Yeah. Um, in the UK, you don't have to be kind of FDA-certified. Um, so it's slightly different if you're if you're launching in the States. But e, kind of, yeah, EU and UK, it was very, very little in terms of the product side, um, which, again, for us was... Was definitely a real pain point that we turned around and said, actually, anyone can sell products yeah. with undisclosed materials from any location, from any kind of that have come from anywhere with any ingredients, and um, women can be buying them. So it was oh, that it's was crazy yeah. because
0: something that goes inside of you, you would think would have more regulation around it, right?
2: Totally. And you kind of you use the tampon for up to eight hours a time, sixteen thousand during your lifetime, and there's no regulations. The only regulation we did have to meet was that the organic uh, materials were as absorbent as. Mainstream stream months. but that was it and we're like surely this is I mean obviously <laughs> it's important but there are some seriously important things that we should be meeting um that we didn't necessarily have to
1: I think that's why it was so important for us to also make sure that we were soil association certified so that's the leading organic certifier in the UK because we felt that to kind of we wanted to have the backup proof that what we were saying was true so that yeah. all of our customers could look to our certification and see that we had actually checked the whole supply chain and everything was was
0: clear So, how long did this all take from research to to, to developing the product and then to taking it to market?
2: Um, Well, the big thing that held us up was kind of branding and investment. Investment was a big one. But it took, uh, so from initial idea, um, 14 months. Yeah. Yeah
0: was quite a bit of time.
2: Yeah, especially it felt like forever when we were kind of unpaid. Um, (laughs) And And was this a
0: side hustle or were you working on it full time?
2: From um, April 2017, we went full time and kind of used up every single penny that we had saved for any kind of mortgage that we ever imagined
0: (laughs) taking out. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And you took on investment before you fully launched
1: we closed the investment round just before we launched. It was like a month or two, a month and a half before we launched. Okay. So we did a lot of the sort of, yeah, the branding, securing the manufacturers, doing all the pre-work to launching. But then we needed the investment to be able to place those stock orders.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, so that the investment piece took about seven months.
0: I'd like to go back to partnering with the school in Zambia could you just kind of like talk through why you've set your company up in this way because I know from every order that's made a part of that profit goes towards Zambia how did that partnership come about?
1: So it all started when we were feeling really frustrated with the problems that we were having in the industry here so the way things were being marketed to us the advertising and then the lack of disclosure regulations and those are all really big problems But you can't really talk about menstrual health without acknowledging that in other countries, there's just a lack of products in general, Um, so lack of access, and there's also a lack of education. And having the conversation around improving women's menstrual health, I think, needs to include both sides. So we decided early on that we would want to have a positive impact beyond uh, sort of changing opinions and views around periods, and also into sort of a tangible impact on communities that... Uh, women are struggling to have access to products.
0: Okay. And in terms of product marketing, I guess talking about periods is is, is still a bit, you know, everyone's still a bit on edge. (laughs) And you talk about it quite loudly, which is interesting because I would say that British people are quite reserved and Mm -hmm. we don't like to have these loud conversations. Um, So how did you go about taking the product to market? what were your decisions and thoughts about how you were going to communicate what it is that you were trying to achieve?
2: So we looked at every single other player in the industry who were showing kind of adverts um, and marketing their products in a way that you're meant to feel like that skinny white girl with like legs up to her armpits like frolicking in a white field with a with them in a meadow with a white skirt on, and we and we looked at kind of all of the companies doing this, and then you look at even the smaller ones, the kind of newer ones, uh, slightly more innovative ones, and their kind of Instagrams are baby pink or baby blue, and you've got immaculate white bedding and a pug dog and a MacBook, and you're like, this is just so like, people are trying to change the way that we think about menstruation, um, and open the conversations without really talking about it, and so from the very beginning we were like. It's go hard or go home. <laughs> yeah. Very much so. We wanted to talk about things um, that have typically been unspoken and do it in a way that actually kind of is is hopefully positive. It's definitely bold, um, but a way that whether you like it or not, there's some conversation around it. Mm. I mean, we still get a lot of people kind of will go on our Instagram or our Facebook and any ads that we put out and go, that's disgusting. I don't want to see this picture of blood and the amount of ads we've had taken down as well. But from those people commenting or engaging, there's a reaction and I think the reaction kind of at least it it stimulates some kind of thought and some kind of conversation around menstruation which kind of up to date has been really unspoken
0: yeah and just to go back to the um point that you made about your ads getting taken down Mm -hmm. is that from like platforms by like Facebook and Instagram and
2: yeah, Facebook loves to share us down. like <laughs> loves to. Um, we've got a pro period CBD oil, completely banned on Facebook and Google Ads. Really, why? Uh, yeah, uh, because in some countries it's not legal still, the um, oh, okay. CBD. So we can slightly see that a little bit more. Um, the word vagina um, gets taken down a lot. Too much blood gets reported and then we take it gets taken down. Um, tampons or
1: sex toys? Oh yeah, tampons, that was the latest
2: one. All of our ads got blocked recently because they said, and this was a real argument, tampons were classified as sex toys and we we literally sat there like we have been missing a trick (laughs) (laughs) what is going on um does this affect your sales
0: and like you reaching it does it definitely does
2: i think for us it we can always get past it um and there's a way and i mean it like the the latest one with tampons being classified as sex toys was a case of us arguing it and it probably took three weeks of arguing um so it definitely kind of it does affect sales slightly, but not massively. We try not to put kind of too much emphasis on Facebook ads. We wanna kind of um, speak to our community, our kind of potential customers in a way that's not pushing ads in front of them. Um, So it's more kind of brand building. Um, So it doesn't massively affect, but it's frustrating.
0: Yeah, I can imagine. Um, So talking about your second product, which is um, CBD oil, you're the UK's first pro period CBD oil. Um, And I think that's another product that people aren't really well educated on. Um, So I was wondering if you can just kind of talk about what CBD is. Yeah. And then also, I guess, kind of explain how you came about using it and then deciding to bring it on as a product.
2: Yeah. So um, in your body, you've got a a natural endocannabinoid system. Um, CBD links to your, um, which is cannabinoid, um, so it's derived from hemp uh, from the hemp plants um, and obviously kind from of the marijuana plants um, your body when you take CBD um, the CBD connects with your endocannabinoid system which is responsible for a lot of things such as regulating your hormones so it comes down to skin depression um, anxiety stress um, as well as pain so we basically started testing CBD um, earlier last year earlier this year sorry last year last year earlier last yeah. year we started testing it um we were introduced to someone who had been she's a cbd manufacturer and she had been test had been using cbd to help with um, her endometriosis and she came up to us and said you have to try this kind of you're obviously talking about periods this has absolutely changed changed my life and we we kind of went oh cbd it's this fad and it's kind of blowing up a little bit and is that even really legal um but we kind of entertained it for a little bit and started testing
1: yeah and it was it completely changed my entire cycle and i think i was so surprised that i got a little bit obsessed with everything cbd after that um so for me a total (laughs) (laughs) just feed me anything cbd and i'm happy um so my cycle had been very very irregular after coming off the pill and going through a period of quite high stress yeah so I didn't get a period for 12 months. Mm. And then when it came back, it came back with a vengeance. So it was sort of completely irregular. I couldn't tell if it was going to be every two weeks or every 10. Um, when it came back, my cramps were horrendous. My skin would completely erupt. I mean, adult acne style. Um, really bad mood swings, PMS. It was just like, it was a real downer in my life because every time my period came around, I really struggled to manage it. Yeah. Um, Started taking ingestible CBD every day. It's like two drops under my tongue. Number one, immediately noticed that I was sleeping better, which is just great um, for stress with running a business. Um, And then the second thing was after about two months, my skin started to clear. And then at about three, three and a half months, my cycles regulated again. So suddenly, bang on every four weeks. And I was just so shocked by this, that we started looking into the connection between CBD and hormone balance and learning more about what we could do in that space. Whereas for Leah, she tried the CBD and it was really more around pain.
2: Yeah, so we have two products, Yoss Hormonally and Holy Cramp. Your Hormonally is ingestible, um, used to kind of help regulate your hormones and your ever-changing hormones throughout your cycle. And then Holy Cramp um, is our topical um, CBD that can be used for Um, To kind of support all elements of your cycle, I personally use it for pain relief. So I actually add a few drops to my tampon as well um,
0: and use it for pain relief. Wow, this is so interesting. (laughs) (laughs) I'm a bit like, wow, this is a lot of information to take (laughs) in. And why has there been like a sudden rise of CBD in everything? So you now have CBD in creams, food, drinks. Um, I think it's really interesting because it's a really fast-growing industry. Why Mm -hmm. do you think that is? Because, I mean, cannabis has been out in forever, so...
1: I think it's because the regulations have changed. So yeah. they've very recently changed in the UK. And I think they changed in the States about a year or two years ago, which actually allows you to sell CBD products that also have a small amount of THC in them. Um, and it's the combination that actually makes CBD very, very effective. So we were seeing a lot of companies in the States starting to launch products, so ingestibles, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, skincare products, all sorts of wellness products. And we've only just recently seen that rise happening in the UK as well. Yeah. I would definitely say, though, that it's a market to just keep your eye on because mm. there's not a lot of regulation still. Mm. Um, so make sure that when you are buying products, because they can also sometimes be hev- very heavily priced, um, make sure you can see the uh, the labs. Most All companies that do CBD products, if it's um, sort of around a supplement, they should be able to provide the labs. Um, and you should be checking those to make sure that the CBD is actually high quality because there's so many different strains. You can get good quality, bad quality, and you could be paying 60 pounds for a bottle that's not actually gonna be doing what it says it's gonna be doing.
2: It's even something as simply as the way the CBD is um, extracted. You can have kind of a 1% CBD versus a 10% CBD that has been um, extracted differently, and the 1% will be so much more powerful than the 10%. So, and anyone can request those labs as well. Any consumer can turn to their company and say, I wanna see a copy of labs. So we definitely encourage that.
0: Um, so recently you did the Techstars Accelerator and that was from April to I think October. Could you talk a little bit about what you did on the Accelerator?
2: Yes, um, we actually just finished October the 17th um, and it was three months of a total whirlwind madness yeah, in the most incredible way. Um, so Techstars is an accelerator program. For anyone who doesn't doesn't know, with um, bringing startups together, um, they it's a global company. They bring in London. They bring ten companies together, um, ten startups together, to put them through kind of three months of um, kind of fast track of business essentially in three months. And um, did you have to apply, or did they? Yeah, you have to okay. apply. Um, it's a pretty uh, tough process. Um, But definitely well worth it and we would recommend it hands down to any company, any
1: startup um, that's looking for that extra support, kind of learning opportunities. um, Mentors. You get matched with um, over 100 mentors Mm -hmm. over the first month of the program, which number one is great for validating your business ideas. So whether you are like very early stage or even, you know, 15 months in like we were. You get to talk through your assumptions and the things that you want to build. And you basically get to proof check that against 100 uh, highly reputable people in different industries, which is game changing. And then you get matched with the ones that um, are more relevant to your business. And you have intensive support from them across the rest of the program to execute on all things that you're struggling with, basically.
2: You also do a whole series of kind of mini MBAs, um, deep dives into any subject that you need support in yeah. um, and then kind of a whole network so as you kind of said Techstars is a massive community, kind of global community of either companies or individuals who have um, had their companies through one of the programs anywhere in the world mentors um, investors investors. so I mean it's been absolutely game changing for us
0: Yeah and were you on this program for three months straight Yeah, and you was meeting in like a physical place
2: Yes Oh, wow, yeah. that's
0: very intense.
2: It's, it's been exhausting. And
0: <laughs> <laughs> what have been the like the biggest benefits taking the accelerator? And is this something that you would encourage or founders to do?
1: The thing with um, accelerators is, funny enough, we had never really considered doing one, and it was only when the sort of opportunity to apply to Techstars came around, and we decided to just just go for it it was a very spontaneous yeah. application that I think we <laughs> last applied, night the,
2: the last night yeah. of the applications um, wow. it was very very spontaneous we were kind of in madness of fundraising and bits um, but we'd heard
1: about it a lot and I think had we not sort of come across it in that moment where we just decided to go for it and do a one-off application we might not have considered it because I think a lot of people don't consider an accelerator when there are certain ways along in the journey mm. but it's always valuable yeah um, It just kind of allows you to do things faster Mm. so it's kind of like you take 12 months what you could have done in 12 months and you just pull that back to three and it's tough in what sense in the sense that the support that you get to execute is just invaluable Um, you're surrounded by nine other companies that are working as hard as you as fast as you Mm. and pushing really hard so you're constantly surrounded by that buzz that energy I mean we're all working crazy hours and Someone's got a success over here, over there, and so you're really, really like yeah. motivated by that to just do as much as you can in those three months. And then every time you hit a business problem, there's someone in the Techstars network to help you. So us saying, "Oh, you know, the f- our Facebook ads are being taken down." They were like, "Okay, we should connect you to this person to have a chat about what you can do about that." Or yeah, I'm having a logistics problem or a supply chain problem, anything. It just means you get through things a lot faster. Yeah. Yeah. And kind of
2: we actually had the support from the mentors as well who would frequently sit there and dive in and we'd say, can we talk to you about all of our problems? And they would be hands-on um, kind of helping wherever they could. So kind of the actual kind of the hours that people put into our company as well was hugely beneficial.
0: Yeah, and um, one of the big challenges that you've had so far is raising investment. And I'd love if you could share what that experience has been like and what the response was like from the investors when you went on your first round, because you're on your second round right now, right?
1: So we've decided to raise money um, before we launched because we didn't have the funds to place stock orders. Um, and that was insanely difficult. I think it's worth noting mm-hmm. there that
2: neither Niki or I had, like, particularly kind of strong business backgrounds at all. We didn't have families from business backgrounds. We kind of no high net worth individuals around us. We Neither of us were living in London. We didn't have a clue what we were doing. Like, mm.
1: not a clue. We went into it so naively. Probably the best way, because if we probably knew what had been coming, we might not have jumped in so willingly. But <laughs> uh, we did definitely persevere. Um, so we went to every female founder networking event we could find, at this point, we were based in Somerset, so we were traveling up you know, a couple times a week to London to just go to as many events as possible, cold emailing people for coffees, for advice, um, yeah. trying to get introductions. It was really hard. At that point, we didn't have products; We just had basically the idea. But it was just the fact that we kept going. We kept going, kept going, until one of those no's turned into a yes, and then it was another yes. Um, and then we raised our first round. But it was definitely, I think, the two of us not having that reputation in the industry already having not had another startup or a career in a company that people would recognize and then to this topic that we were raising money for so two young women raising money for a very bold uh tampon company and having to speak to majority over 50 year old white male investors it was definitely an interesting time to be having those conversations I think our first
2: yes um, from that round came when we were sat at Worsley Station. Mm-hmm. Um, we were beyond exhausted, like beyond exhausted. We did the worst pitch of our entire life because I think we weren't expecting a pitch. We turned to this kind of female angel and said, can we just have some advice? Um, we got there and she went, pitch to me. And at the end of that meeting, and uh, honestly, we were like, this has been the worst pitch we have ever done. We should just go home and like, curl up it's in a sack now. <laughs> yeah. um, and at the end of that meeting, she went, yep, okay, I'm in. Wow. And we yeah. uh, somehow managed to drag ourselves to like the nearest bar to at least have a glass, one glass <laughs> of Prosecco before
0: like, jumping on the train and going home. And how much did you raise from her?
2: Oh, it was a tiny amount. So the whole, that whole round um, was just over 100K. Um,
0: but through a few different angels. Yeah. And how did you learn about um, pitch decks? Were you coached or did you just look online? We literally just looked online um, and just
1: tried to pull one together that we thought made sense to the story that we were trying to tell. Um, We definitely got better at it. So when I look back at the first one, I sometimes wonder how we raised money. (laughs) Um, There's definitely an art to doing a pitch deck. Um, I mean, bear in mind at this point,
2: Nicky and I kind of, we had... Barely any savings, we were living off our savings. The only savings we had, we were living off and kind of scraping by. We didn't have budgets to spend on branding or manufacturing or um, tech or like anything we did. Consulting, consulting, yeah, yeah, anything. We did everything ourselves because we just didn't
1: have any budgets.
0: And what was the unique selling point that you gave to the investors that made them come on board?
1: So that first round was us saying, look at the market there's some innovation starting to happen. But number one, the branding and advertising is still the same as the mainstream products. And number two, there's no company that's actually acknowledging that every single woman's cycle is unique and that actually they deserve to be able to completely customize their box of period products to their cycle, uh, to a specific delivery date, and all the way down to the range of absorbencies in their box. Because at the time, nobody was doing that. So that's what we went in with. Um, and since then the proposition, yeah. Exactly. And since then the proposition has slightly grown and changed over time. But that was the initial thing that we raised money to.
0: Yeah. And part of your mission is to educate people, change the attitudes towards periods and like the behaviors as well. How are you doing that and how do you plan to do that in the future?
2: So I think for kind of at the moment it's still around that conversation. So really, really pushing out the conversation, the information, the knowledge that that people don't have access to um, and having that conversations that are typically unspoken. Um, So we do a lot of content. We do loads of events, as many as we can, creating kind of a a community. I mean, I think that for us, when you start talking to people about periods, menstruation, cycles, suddenly, nine times out of ten, especially when we're talking, we'll end up in this hour-long conversation about kind of really, really personal details about a cycle. And there's so many people out there that are really, really happy or and excited to talk about kind of their personal experiences, mm-hmm. but don't have a platform to do it on. And we've noticed that at our events, we will just kind of see kind of so many individuals chatting to complete strangers about the most personal and intimate areas of their kind of their body and their psycho and the experiences and what's great and what's shit and seeing that is really really um it's amazing isn't it um so keeping those going so keeping making sure that we've got that community offline um and the support online too yeah
0: and how do you get men involved in the conversation because i feel like it's really important for them to be involved maybe not necessarily because they don't have anything to share on it but <laughs> just to get them educated as well because providing that they have sisters and and they do have mothers and then partners as well it's just good for them to know.
1: We actually had um, one of the associates that was working at Techstar as well we were doing the program, he found sort of working alongside our company super interesting and he's like I just really want to learn about women's cycles more because I really want to be able to support my girlfriend because most of the time I don't understand (laughs) what she's going through and she will be in a really bad mood and I don't want to be there just really naively expecting her to just get out of it if it's really her hormones are sort of wrecking ha- havoc on her body. So can you teach me more about what the different phases mean and like what symptoms she might be having at different points? And I think that is just really, and a really exciting sort of avenue to start exploring is how can men be more present to the fact that it's more than just the five days you bleed. It's all the symptoms that you will experience as your hormones go up and down across the entire cycle. Mm.
2: Mm. We haven't kind of really, really dived into um supporting men through women's cycles as well um, yet. I think it's something that we're diving into at the, literally at the moment. So kind of you'll see stuff popping up on socials very soon. Um, yeah. Kind of encouraging um, men to have a conversation and, and just people that don't bleed to have the conversation around
0: cycles. And some men are actually quite educated. I mm-hmm. listened to a podcast with Maisie Hill. So she has a podcast literally all about periods. And um, she was interviewing three guys and they were getting all the questions right. I (laughs) was really, really shocked. Um, So I think some men are educated on it.
2: Definitely, I think the conversation has changed massively as well. Mm. I know that in our office, I mean it's an amazing office though, it's kind of probably 50-50 men and women, There is not one man in that office that won't happily talk about periods. I mean, this was different when we moved into the (laughs) office. (laughs) Um, But kind of, yeah, I think there's so so much conversation happening. And people will come and sit by us and say, my girlfriend's had this experience. What advice can I give her? um, We'd had mentors that would come and say, my daughter's about to start her period. Can I have some products to take to her? Um, And the conversations are changing really, really rapidly. They're changing. And if we can do anything to speed them up, it would be amazing.
0: And in terms of the mainstream products that are out there at the moment, could you share what exactly is wrong with them?
2: Yeah, so products themselves, if we're talking just pads and tampons, Tampons are made of synthetic so rayon polyester viscose bleached to make them um, white I don't know kind of you literally can't see the difference between an organic cotton tampon in color and a mainstream tampon in color but they bleach them anyway to make them white um, and also a cleaning process um, that leaves a byproduct of dioxin and you've got kind of the um, herbicide pesticides for the small amount of cotton that is in the tampon too mm. you've got a plastic wrap around the outside and the string is glued in so that in its entirety takes up to 500 years to buy Degrade, which is literally longer I mean this talking not the applicator not a plastic applicator the pearly white innocent looking tampon takes longer to biodegrade than the lifetime of the person who used it I think when we found that out, that was one of those really shocking moments that you're yeah. saying I'm being really sustainable I'm kind of doing everything that I should, and I'm just using kind of my non applicated tampons. But actually, that tampon takes longer to biodegrade than the lifetime of the person who used it. Um, and then, if you look at pads, the kind of the materials are much the same, but they've got the equivalent of four plastic bags in each pad. And again, you go kind of go to the shop and you spend kind of five pence for a plastic bag, and you don't have your own, and you walk out with a, a pack of pads that will have maths here, but <laughs> equivalent of twenty plus plastic bags in the
1: kind of in your pack of pads um it's- and most of them are scented as well even yeah. if they don't say that they're scented on them which was one of my biggest frustrations is that you scour the shelves looking for a pack of pads that isn't scented pick one up then you get home open it and you're like oh
2: yeah i think one of our kind of real pain points was that a lot of people were using mainstream products then switch to organic and then turn to us and say I thought my period was normal. I thought the kind of the thrush I had or the dryness or the soreness or any irritation I thought that was normal and just part of having a period and it wasn't until I switched to organic that I realised that I'm not meant to feel those experiences and that was really shocking. One of those things that kind of like heartbreaking great that we can we can help people to experience a kind of a a more normal period Um, but kind of heartbreaking that women would assume that the symptoms that they were experiencing were normal and it's literally a result um, of using kind of
0: synthetics products.
1: Someone literally said to me today that they didn't expect there to be any difference between using mainstream and organic.
0: Which is why I think people aren't making the change, mm. yeah. like myself, <laughs> um, because people don't expect there to be a difference. I mean, to be honest with you, I have really good periods. I've, I've had no problems for, you know, the majority of my life, but for some people, they are having problems. Like the other day, I was on Twitter and a lady mentioned that she gets rashes mm-hmm. and so many different things, and she uses—I um, don't want to mention the brand, mm-hmm. but she uses quite a popular brand. Mm-hmm. And um, I did refer her to on, and I told her to try the product out and to like give me feedback on it because um, a lot of people were commenting and saying that they are also experiencing the same thing. Mm.
2: I think even though if you if you don't experience kind of any obvious side effects. Mm-hmm kind of knowing what's in the products that you're yeah. using is still kind of really powerful. Um, I mean, I know that, so the dioxin trace that is in a tampon it is kind of okay because it is just a trace. And that's at one a tra- kind of a trace of dioxin per tampon. And then suddenly you look at, hang on a minute, you're using 16,000 during your lifetime in one of the most absorbent areas of your body. That trace is no longer a trace. That's kind of multiplied by 16,000. Um, and I kind of, I think for us, it's not about, telling people that they have to switch by any means it's saying you deserve to know what you're using you deserve yeah. to know some products go out and make your own choices we're kind of we're
1: not there to tell you what you should and shouldn't be doing but here's the information that you have autonomy over your own body yeah. and then you know we fully trust that you'll make the decision that's right for you but you yeah. deserve to know
0: have you had any negative feedback or trolls or anything like that
1: Oh, yeah.
2: I mean, (laughs) lots of kind of, as we said, we're very bold in what we do, and there's a lot of people that don't like that. (laughs) We've had, we had some, someone really early, it was like a Trump supporter in the early days, do you remember, that followed us, and we had probably been launched kind of like a month, six weeks. There was this kind of mad Trump supporter who, uh, was really, really big in the States. Cannot remember his Twitter handle, but he shared something to his personal Twitter, kind of going, this is absolutely disgusting what a company's doing these days. Um, and we were like, this is amazing. He's just <laughs> shared us to his like 20,000 followers on Twitter. <laughs> Look at what we got off the back of it. Um, yeah, there's always, kind of, always going to be people that say, "I oh, don't want to hear about periods. I think a frequent one is, we don't talk about when we kind of go to the toilet for any other any other activity, why are we talking about periods? Um, so yeah, there's always people.
0: So this is a segment of the show called Ask FWL where we invite members of the community to ask a question about business. Today we have Sylvia who's asking a question around balancing her side hustle with her professional career. I wanted to know when is it a good time to put your side hustle before your full-time job and how does one do that so you don't hurt the other, if that makes any sense? Um, until your side hustle becomes your actual full-time job.
1: I guess it really comes down to what her long-term ambitions are around those two jobs. Because if the side hustle is something that ideally she would want to make a full-time job, then it's around balancing your full-time work that you still have the financial stability to keep you working on the side hustle, but still maybe pouring your creative energy into that more um, and using your sort of main job as the carrier. Um, But if the creative side hustle is really just, uh, not really just, but it's a side hustle that she wants to keep a side hustle, then it's also looking into how can you make sure that your main career still has enough energy and time going into it that you're progressing there too. Because it could just be really easy to get stuck in a place where you're working so hard on both, but without really knowing which one you really want to excel in. Because Mm -hmm. it can be difficult to balance that amount of hours. Yeah,
2: I think if the dream is obviously kind of, if the dream is to really kick off her side hustle there has to be a point that she can go actually I'm spending X amount of hours on this now Um, I'm super passionate I can see the path that we're going down and the route that we're going down Um, is it sustainable in terms of kind of financially Um, and at what point does that cross over so what point can she maybe kind of drop her hours down at her full time job increase the hours of her side hustle Um, but I think when it comes to fulfilment as well I think it's really really important to kind of to note that obviously there's the work fulfillment but um, a full time job kind of probably overtime, and then a side hustle too I think a big part of the fulfillment has to come down to personal life as well like it's so important to make that time to kind of for your wellness for your kind of do some exercise see some friends kind of take the time out of, yeah. kind of your everyday work life as well and for me personally I know Nick's feels the same kind of being fulfilled in life is like often forcing ourselves to have that work-life balance. Um, And it can be really hard. I mean, I'm super hypocritical (laughs) saying this, um, but I know that kind of those times I really, really appreciate is kind of when I can switch off a little bit. So I'd say kind of keep an eye on where that balance is um, and where that side hustle can become a full-time position if that's the route she wants to go down.
0: And just wrapping up with the last question, will you ever consider going into retail
2: so we have actually just launched in Oliver Bonus. Okay. So we didn't ever want to. We were. Yeah. We kind of firmly said we weren't going to go down the retail route. Um, there were huge kind of there is huge competition over shelf space, over margins. Um, so it wasn't something that we were ever remotely interested in. Um, we also
1: didn't want to be on the shelf of the feminine hygiene. Section, mm. um, So that was always a big no for yeah.
2: us. But then Oliver Bonus um, came along and basically completely sold us with their Be Kind mission. And they've got such an incredible Be Kind mission. Um, and that's to do with kind of uh, the NGOs they support, sustainability, their team, um, work hours, pay, kind of everything. And their Be Kind mission is absolutely phenomenal. Um, and they approached us. So we have just launched with them um, our full range of products, um, which is was something we're very excited about. But at the moment, kind of there's no kind of firm plans to work with any other retailers um but watch this space
0: (laughs) okay um so thank you very much for being on the show could you just share details where the listeners could find you
2: Yes. So if you go to www.ohne.co, that's CO, um, we are online and, of course, now in order of a bonus too. And if
1: you would like any of your listeners to have a free box on us, um, they can use the code F W L V I P. Thank you.
2: Thank you so much for having Thank us. You.
0: Well, that's it for this episode of How I Made It Happen. For more inspiring stories, visit our website, forworkingladies.com. Sign up to our newsletter and keep an eye out for our next event. Before you go, if you've enjoyed the podcast, please like and subscribe and also leave a review as it helps in finding our podcast more easily. Thanks for listening.